Welcome to Vineyard Brisbane West podcast. It's great to have you with us. In this series, we dive deeper into the narratives we hold about God. Narratives play a fundamental role in forming our identity, both for the positive or the negative. So join us over the coming weeks as we explore the character of God displayed in the life and mission of Jesus. we've been considering what we believe about God and um, but we've been doing that by contrasting it with the God that Jesus revealed. Just holding up our picture of God and looking at Jesus and his life and his teachings and asking ourselves is what we believe true because Jesus shows us truth. And the foundation verse that we've used to um, underpin the series is Hebrews 1, 1-3. In the, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus fully revealed God's character, and Jesus came to demonstrate how to live as a human fully dependent on the Holy Spirit to live in the way that God designed. So tonight we're going to continue and the truth or the aspect of God that we're learning about tonight is that our God is a God of transformation. What type of transformation? In this context we're talking about transformation to become more and more like Jesus and restoring, God restores everything that was lost in the fall. that we talked about was that the things in life that I struggle with, whether they be recurrent sin or persistent insecurities, these, these things that are difficult in life, that they're not going to change. I'm sure we've all thrown our hands up in desperation at some point and said, Jesus, this is never going to change. But for anybody who's done set free or who knows Wendy McDougall, what would she say if she heard one of us say that? This is never going to change. What would Wendy say? I cancel that in Jesus' name, she would. And it sounds very abrupt when she does it, doesn't it? But it forces us to stop and think about what we are declaring over ourselves, just like we were challenged a moment ago. Because agreeing and partnering with false narratives doesn't bring life. And we need to be aware that the power that they, we need to be aware of the power that they can hold over us. So I'm going to switch the order tonight. Normally we um, read a passage and then we... um, consider that, talk about that, and then we um, look at some false narratives, but I'm going to talk about the false narratives first, or at least some of them, because the Holy Spirit, um, I'm trusting, will bring to light other potential false narratives that we might be holding on to. 
<laughs> when I was learning to drive, we went on a family holiday and I think the night, um, I might have just flown in from Brisbane actually into Townsville and then my parents picked me up from the airport and we were driving to Airlie Beach and it was raining and it was dark and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like on the cusp of having to teach my kids how to drive so I have to take um, hats off to my dad for, um, you know, releasing control. And to any parent out there who's had to release control in order to teach their kids how to drive, it's a wonderful thing. But um, anyway, dark and raining on the highway, lots of big trucks and just single lanes uh, on that part of the road. And each time I said headlights came, my dad would just quietly and gently say, don't look at the headlights, look beyond the headlights. Because the thing that you're looking at is the thing that you'll drive towards. And the reason, and that came to mind this week because it is really um, important how we view ourselves and it's really important how we view God. So what are some of the narratives held by Christians in relation to transformation? And the first one I'm going to talk about is I'm a sinner, just a sinner, saved by grace. And the corresponding truth being we're saints. Because we know that God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. If we continue to see ourselves as sinners, saved by grace, we approach the Father expecting judgment and begging for crumbs. We come back like the prodigal son did. We did that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? He came back to the Father and said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me like your servant. How did the Father respond? He responded by affirming his sonship. And Jesus says this about us too. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. I found a quote from John Wimber saying, many Christians do go on sinning. A key reason why they give in to sin is because they fail to understand and believe that they are new creatures in Christ, forgiven, renewed, empowered for righteousness by the Holy Spirit. That comes from uh, Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced the most common reason for falling into sin is that people do not understand their true identity and purpose as Christians. Now, a lot of um, theologians have over time come to a point where they've said we are both sinners and saints. Um, and we've done a lot of teaching already in the, in the church about, uh, in this church, about um, why we're, we're no longer sinners. And I, and I can't in tonight's message go through all of the theology um, behind that. But Paddy Putman in the book, Just Like Jesus, does a really good job of, um, of talking about that theology and going through scripture. And... But if we think about what a sinner is, what is, what is a sinner? Someone who commits sins? Unsaved. Someone who's unsaved? Yeah, if we go back to, like, if I lie, would you call me a liar? Well, if I lie, or if my kids come up to me and lie, would I call them a liar? Would I... Not their identity. Not their identity. To be a sinner is an identity thing. And if we go back to Genesis, God made humanity with an identity and a de destiny. Our identity was made in the image and likeness of God and the destiny was to rule over everything that came forth from the earth. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, they hijacked that image of God in us and made us sinners. Something broke on the inside. It became our identity, broken humanity. And we know that, as I said a moment ago, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not just to forgive our sins, but to make us new creations. And if we now think about what a saint is, a saint is a person that's set apart for holy purposes. That's who we are if we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. We're a people set apart to do what the Father's called us to do and have been restored. And I'm not saying that we don't sin, because we do sin. And, and um, there's a verse that just popped out of my mind that, you know, if we, if we say we don't sin, we're fooling ourselves. It's in 1 John. But our identity, if we have accepted Jesus and his sacrifice, is no longer sinner. It's saint. This is another false narrative that's um, somewhat similar. Um, that God makes us better people. I don't know if anybody listened to the Lectio 365 um, app on, I mean, the, the devotion on Monday morning. Um, but there was a meditation on this, on Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. God doesn't make us better people. He makes us new people. It's not a self-improvement program, and Dan um, talked about this last week. The Apostle Paul writes, and when we identify with Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Christians move from life under the law into a life of freedom. I've got a diagram. We've seen this diagram a lot in, um, in, in the vineyard context, don't we? Because we, we often use this to explain kingdom theology, where we have the, the Bible considers there to be two ages, we, this present evil age and the age to come. And if we were to amend this diagram to include creation, that top line would sort of continue backwards. We've got creation, and then we've got the fall. And what happened at the fall was that humanity lost, um, well, what things were lost to humanity? Their identity, their destiny, their, um, it impacted relationships, it impacted um, both between men and women, um, it, it impacted their um, relationship with work, so many things. But then Jesus came. And so we were, we're in the present evil age. And then Jesus came. And through his death and his, his ministry and life and his death and resurrection and through the um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, broke into this age. And we're living now in a time that's between the two times. And so you can see in this, in this image, we've got fallen humanity on one side. Because this is a bit that we may not have, you may not have seen. This is um, one of Derek Morphew's diagrams. We've got the little upside down smiley face, fallen humanity. And as we um, enter into life with Jesus and we're baptized, we identify with his death and then we, we identify with his resurrection. And we've got all the little smiley faces are, um, as we walk with Jesus, we become um, closer and closer to, um, or the process of transformation, becoming more like Jesus. We're just on that journey, aren't we? This is where God has kind of interrupted a bit and I've lost my spot in the notes. It's okay. <laughs> so we're not perfect and without sin. We still live in a broken world. We've formed habits. And we're, um, we're, we're facing, some of us, are facing the consequences of past sins. 
um, we're affected by other people's sins and can have to continue to choose to forgive. We're in this, this period between two ages. We're new creations, but we're still feeling the effects of the flesh, as Paul puts it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we, that we all who with unbowed faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. It's like the little faces moving up, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And what Paul's saying here is this moment of spiritual revelation where we accept Jesus and, um, and what he's done for us is followed by spiritual trans- transformation. The veil is gone. And, and all of us, all of those in Christ who have unbowed faces, boldly look at Christ and what he's done. Christ is the glory of God. We see him for who he is. So this other narrative that I mentioned earlier, I will never change. Well, the truth of that is the truth sets us free. Wimber says, I might have gone ahead of myself. Wimber says, I used to tell people that I was just a sinner saved by grace, but I no longer say that. True, I was once a sinner who repented and believed and as a result was saved by grace, but now I'm a child of God, healed of my spiritual sickness, set free from sin and a slave to righteousness. That is to say, my fundamental identity is that I'm a child of God, a new creation, no longer a sinner. I keep having this image of um, kind of walking along as Christian, but just either either walking backwards, looking at what I was or what we were, um, or looking like that. But we, we want to be looking at Jesus because we have repented and turned around and we're now set free and walking towards Jesus. So we're not the same person anymore. We haven't been made a better person. We have a completely different makeup on the inside. So a couple of people have heard this this morning I was sharing. You know that um, metaphor that's often talked about in, um, in this context of transformation is the caterpillar to the butterfly? Um, well, I looked it up this week, because uh, I, I know that metaphor because I've heard it all my life, actually. Um, but I thought, oh, I've actually, I don't know the science. I haven't actually looked it up for myself, what happens inside a cocoon, so I Googled it. And I found that inside the cocoon, the caterpillar completely breaks down. There's an enzyme that when everybody's not maybe it's just me. There's an enzyme that's in the caterpillar that initially is used to um, move all of, uh, to um, uh, eat the, and, and convert all the food for use in the caterpillar's body. But then when the caterpillar goes into that um, cocoon, it actually changes operation and starts to um, eat and break down the caterpillar. And then, um, and then there are these cells called imaginal cells, is what the scientists have called them, and they start to create a completely new being. So what comes out is not a caterpillar with wings, and I, did, I knew that already. So it's not just a better caterpillar, it's actually a completely new creature. And I just think it's amazing. I've, I've gone from thinking, oh, I could talk about that, that's a bit cliche, <laughs> to, oh my goodness, what has God put in creation? For us to see, it's just amazing. So sin broke us at the core and Christ has restored us from the inside out, just like the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. This is our good and beautiful God.
meditation passage for this week is from John 15. I am the true vine, said Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it can bear more fruit. You are already clean. That's because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself, but only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. People who remain in me and I in them are the ones who bear plenty of fruit. Without me, you see, you can't do anything. So Helen mentioned a moment ago that for those of us who've been um, joining in on the soul training exercises during the week, this last week we have been reading the book of John, which was great timing. <laughs> so... When I read, when I, decide, when I decide to read a book of the Bible, I often go to the Bible Project, which I know won't be a surprise to most of you because I'm always talking about the Bible Project. But I watch their overview video, and it helps me to understand the book and the passages in context, and helps me when I go to start reading it. John Mackey makes a comment. He said, "John believes that Jesus, that Jesus you read about in this book, is alive, and that he can change your life forever." is very relevant to this message tonight. And this passage falls in the second half of John, and it's in between chapters 14 and 17, there's a long speech where Jesus is talking to his disciples before he then gets taken to be crucified. And he's trying to prepare them for what's coming. And he keeps saying that he's going to be going away, which understandably is quite distressing to the disciples, but he goes on to say that it's for the best because um, it means that he'll still send the Spirit. And as a human, Jesus can only be with one place at a time, but a spirit, um, the Spirit can be Jesus' divine personal presence in any place at any time. That's in chapter 14. And he teaches that, the, that there's this wonderful relationship between um, God and himself, loving each other, and that the, that the Spirit is this empowering, loving presence that unifies them. And then goes on to say that he is the vine and they are the branches and disciples are those who remain in him, abide in him. So, understanding that little bit of context, we can um, consider the passage again. And knowing that the imagery in the Bible used in biblical narrative generally has um, meaning that's kind of specific to the context of Israel. I did a bit of research and going along on Friday, um, it was great to hear that my research was, <laughs> well, was consistent with what um, the lady was sharing, so that was good. So within the Jewish tra tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. In Psalm 80, there's a discussion about God bringing the vine out of Egypt and planting it in the promised land. And it talks about it being devastated by wild animals and needing to be protected and re-established. In Isaiah 5, um, it talks about the vineyard of Israel bearing bad fruit, bad grapes, and there's quite a number of other prophets that use that similar example. So N.T. Wright suggests that this passage has two meanings. We've got Jesus saying that he's the true vine, the true Israel. He's the one that, that God is going to fulfill his purposes through, and his followers are members of God's true people if they belong to him and they remain in him. 
And he's also indicating this wonderful, intimate relationship with him that they can enjoy or cultivate. Branches that decide to go it alone and try and live without the life of the vine will wither and die. That's the next verse after this one. They're good for nothing but the fire. That's in verse 6. But the branches that remain in the vine and submit to the pruner's knife when necessary live and bear fruit. Jesus is offering this to his disciple and, and, and also to us. So I'll just read a quote from N.T. Wright. He goes on to say, How do we remain in him? What does it look like in practice? He says that both of the meanings come into play. We must remain in the community that knows and loves Jesus and celebrates him as Lord. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. But we're also to remain as people of prayer and worship in our own intimate private lives. We must make sure to be in touch and in tune with Jesus, knowing him and being known by him. And though it always hurts, be ready for the Father's pruning knife. God is glorified and so will we be by bearing good quality fruit and lots of it. For that to happen, there will be extra growth that needs to be cut away. And that too is an intimate process. He says, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has a knife in his hand. Um, I think there was a quote I might have read out in, in a, one of the earlier messages that I did. Um, it said, when Jesus came to earth, God came so close that he, he kissed our face for kissed the face of the disciples. And I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about God it, at the beginning transforming this piece of dirt into humanity by getting close and breathing into them, close enough to kiss them. It's amazing. But that um, passage that I just read out from N.T. Wright sounds very similar to the um, triangle of transformation that we've been using in this whole journey. We've been adopting the narrative to Jesus, getting to know Jesus. We've been engaging in soul training exercise, which N.T. Wright in that context was talking about, you know, um, getting to know God in our private lives. And we've been coming together and participating in community. And it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Jesus had promised in chapter 14 of John that he was going to send his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be um, the advocate, and the, pers- the, the one that trains, and the one, the personal um, presence of God. The Holy Spirit brings transformation. So I have a few pictures. We were away a couple of weeks back, and these are some pictures from Crete. We have a wonderful... Um, bunch of grapes there on that lovely, look at how lovely that vine is. Look at it. And Jane, I'm so glad you were here tonight. Look at that bougainvillea. <laughs> Anybody who has done any, I'm not, I'm not a gardener. Anybody who's done anything in garden with bougainvilleas know that they do not look like that without some pruning and some care. They just don't grow like that. Does anybody know what a grape vine looks like if it's left unattended? I found a picture. This one's not from a trip. It's unrecognisable, isn't it, that first one? I can't tell what it is. And it's got dead growth. There's no fruit or leaves or life there. It's just all overgrown. But if you look at that next one, that little one, look how severe the pruning is. Each, each brand has been stripped right back to the vine. And 
this isn't in my notes, but I've been reflecting. I mean, I've been on a journey of transformation this week. I came, I started writing this message and I was at a point where I was feeling really frustrated about stuff, you know, my stuff. And thinking, oh God, I, I need your help to write this message on transformation because I don't, sometimes in right in that moment, I don't feel like things are changing. And there have been times when I have been in tears with Jonathan and Helen and said, oh, it hurts the things that I, I feel like God's stripping me back. And they say, yeah, it's, it's part of the process. And then as, as um, God does that work of transformation, you see the new growth. And the other thing that I noticed about this vine is look at the actual vine. And then look at the growth and the beauty and the fruitfulness. Actually, I've got another one. Look at the fruitfulness and the beauty and the transformation that happens because that vine has been maintained. The difference between those vineyards, that's in South Australia, it's, it, that's Coriol, and it's, it definitely bears good fruit. Um, but, yeah, that difference between the, the vine that has been not cared for at all and the vineyard that has been taken, where the gardener has taken great care. I just, um, I wrote a note saying, God doesn't bring suffering, but we do experience suffering. And we have a choice in relation to the pruning. Do we, for example, respond with anger and bitterness or do we submit to the pruning shears and extend forgiveness and grace? And other ways that he might be pruning us or shaping us is, do we allow God to reshape our thinking about things? Are we going to be, am I going to be shaped by godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? Am I going to hold things for myself or am I going to give away? Okay, um, I've just got a few more thoughts as I come to the end, but one other thing that I was challenged by this week was I was thinking about Jesus' life and I was asking myself, like just challenging myself, do I want to live a life like Jesus? Do I want to be willing to be a servant and lay down my life? They're challenging questions to ask, but they're important questions to ask. And um, in the, the, the blue book that was about the Holy Spirit here and now by Trevor Hudson, he, that book is all about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit, the role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. It's a, it's a lovely book. Um, but there's a chapter called The Holy Spirit Changes Us From the Inside. And there was a section where he was talking about the life of Jesus. And he made a couple of points. That in observing Jesus' life, Jesus was true to who he was. He was the same person regardless of the situation. There was no work Jesus and home Jesus. Jesus was free to be with any, without any masks. He was radically free to be himself, which sounds amazing. Jesus was free to be incredibly loving to other people, especially those rejected by others. He's so free to love others that they are set free in, the, in that process of being loved by him. They're set free to realise that they're God's beloved. And another observation he made is that Jesus had such amazing confidence in God 
the God that he knew as Abba. So when the Holy Spirit fills our lives and that transformation is happening and Christ is being formed in us, it's impossible to conceal it. We become increasingly open and honest. And vulnerable is not easy, is it? But that, that happens. Those around us feel loved. Joy bubbles out of us. And peace and serenity shine through us. And I, I definitely want that transformation. <laughs> so I'm, I think we'll, we'll have communion now. And which I think is, is so appropriate just to take some time to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made and think about the resurrection and think about the transformation that he has um, done and that he is doing. And that as we um, take that time and gather that we just ask the Holy Spirit to um, just bring to mind anything that, we're, that may not be right in our thinking. So um, let's just do that. Let's just gather and have some communion.